The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. We have an incredible show this afternoon. I'm very excited on two fronts. Um, the first is that I have with us our monthly contributor, Jocelyn Ewart, the founding partner of Entrust Financial. And if you tuned in at the top of the show, you may have heard her uh, spot about her new book. It has finally come out. Um, as any author knows, when you're working on a book, it's, it's your baby for a long time. And uh, I'm very excited and, and proud that she has uh, published it, and it's out today. It's called The Balancing Act. Not the, it's Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. And Jocelyn's going to be with us at the top of the show to talk a little bit more about the book. And waiting in the wings is our special guest this afternoon as well. Liliana Gil Valletta will be with us this afternoon. She is the president of XL Alliance. She is an entrepreneur. Uh, Lily is a Fox News and CNN contributor and a World Economic Forum young global leader. So uh, we will be with Lily in just a few minutes. But first, let's say congratulations and welcome to the show, Jocelyn. Well, thank you, Susan. Boy, today it's really a pleasure to be joining you because this is a moment I have been working toward for the past two years to open up my computer, go to Amazon.com, and find out that the book is there. It's there. <laughs> it is there. Um, obviously, my first book, you can tell from my enthusiasm, and again, as you mentioned, it's called Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. Um, I would like to take uh, this very first moment to encourage all listeners, Susan, to buy their very own copy. It's only $14.95 to do so. That's a good price. It's a great <laughs> price, and a an even better value because right. it is a how-to guide filled with inspiring real case studies to help women move past fear, build confidence, and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Readers can just read through the book consecutively or they can cherry-pick from the table of contents and select the sections they believe that they need to read right now. And each chapter has chapter exercises, so lessons presented can be utilized right away for the benefit of the reader's own personal financial planning. And I want to ask listeners for their help, too, Susan. The best way to be sure that many, many women are introduced to this book is for readers to write a review and post it on Amazon. The review can be just three or four sentences. That's perfect, and I certainly look forward to reading them. As you can imagine, writing the book expanded my knowledge of women's relationships with money. For example, one of the things my research for the book taught me is how charitable women are, more so than men. With this in mind, your listeners may be interested in knowing that 100% of the proceeds from their purchases of 
Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women will be directed to a Temple University full tuition scholarship fund for students with financial need. A second thing that my research revealed is that women think about money differently from men. On one hand, like men, women expect astute investment advice from their financial advisor. But women, once assured that their investment planning is on track, want more than that from their advisor. They want to know what their money can do for them. A third thing my research uncovered is that women are concerned about doing the right thing with their money. They're unlikely to act. They're unlikely to take charge of their financial well-being with confidence unless they believe that they have the education they need and the understanding to make those right decisions. The book provides the perspective, perspective that your listeners and women they know need to take charge and successfully manage their personal finances. So the question that often comes my way, even before uh, today, and knowing that the book is fully distributed, is why a book for women about women written by a woman certified financial planner professional? The short answer to that is because women now control more than half the wealth in America. More than $14 trillion is under the control of women. It's kind of hard to write $14 trillion and remember how many zeros and commas to put in. <laughs> That's how big that number is. In the past, women influenced what happened to the money in their household, their personal money, but now they're actually in control of it. It's got their name on the accounts. Uh, we often hear that timing is everything. When I began writing, really probably two years ago, the summer of 2014, women controlled less than half. So in that short space of time, we're more than half, and the number continues to grow. So as you can see, women need to read this book. They need a guide to help them make good financial decisions. And any listener who needs even more inspiration will be pleased to learn that one of your Women to Watch guests, Jackie Zayner, she was here with you April 4th, wrote yes. the foreword to the book. Yes, and she's wonderful and, and doing a lot of things for women, women's empowerment globally. Yes, uh, that is completely an, uh, almost an understatement. I consider her truly um, phenomenal. She's Chief Engagement Officer for Women Moving Millions, and this organization, speaking of women being interested in charitable endeavors, um, in just six years has raised more than a billion dollars for endeavors to help women and girls worldwide, and they're just getting started. Right, right. Um, in tandem with the book launch, our website, balancingactbook.com, is also available to listeners. A few minutes ago, I mentioned chapter exercises. Additional exercises can be found on the resources tab of the site. Again, that's balancingactbook.com. One exercise from Chapter 1 that can be eye-opening is the money personality quiz. I'm sure it comes as no surprise to your listeners that money is the number one hot button, the number one cause of tension in many marriages. If listeners not only complete the money personality quiz, but also have their spouses complete it, causes for some of that tension may be identified, then addressed, and eliminated. As you know, 
Susan, I could talk about this favorite subject of mine, women taking charge of their personal finances for a long time. Right. But I do need to close so we can enjoy today's guest. But I would like to add that the book addresses what to do for women facing divorce or loss of a spouse, as I had to face when my late husband died in 2008, as well as tips for negotiating fair compensation when offered a promotion, something women have been uncomfortable pursuing in the past. Exactly. Well, I am so excited for you, and I love the fact that the book is what you describe as straight talk, because that's what I need, and I will be taking it with me on my my flight to to Ireland in a couple of weeks, and I look forward to reading it. So just to to repeat, it's balancingactbook.com. People can go and learn all about it. Thanks so much, Jocelyn. Fantastic. It's great to have you today. And now I'm I'm excited uh, and very um, honored to have with us this afternoon Lily Gill Valletta. Lily is the president of XL Alliance and also an entrepreneur. She is a Fox News and CNN contributor and a World Economic Forum young global leader. Lily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm very happy to have you. Are you calling in from New York today? I am. I'm calling you right from my office close to the Times Square area. Oh, very nice. So you're experiencing the the dreaded heat that we are as well. You're not that far away. Oh, yes. It's unbelievable the way it's been uh, the past week or so. But I'm not going to complain. I would much prefer the the warm weather. My guess is you do too. Do you? Uh, I do too, of course. Yeah. I, I, I take it as, you know, glass half full before the winter hits, which is going to be here before we know it. That's exactly right. So, Lily, let's let's get started right away and um, give the listeners a, an idea about your background and where you came from. And, of course, you, uh, you were born in Colombia and spent some years there before moving to the U.S. Can you talk about your growing up years there? Of course. So, I, as you said, I am originally from Colombia, so I'm a proud Colombian. Now, uh, I've been here in the United States for almost 20 years, so I'm a, I'm a proud Colombian-American, I guess, now. Right. Um, but, yes, my uh, my upbringing was uh, quite interesting. My parents were actually in the oil industry, and my mom, um, who actually is, um, she passed away a few years ago, and I carry her legacy proudly. She was one of the very first females in Colombia to make it to a pretty significant executive position in the oil company of Colombia. So I guess that's where I get it from because I grew up watching a very strong role model mm-hmm. and how her and my dad were a total team. Uh, so to me, this whole concept of, of gender roles or anything wasn't, wasn't a thing for me because growing up, I just watched them being the, such, a, such a great unit. Uh, but yes, yeah, sure enough, at the time, you know, when it was uh, time for me to go to uh, college, um, we were going through the, the, the very tough times of, you know, the Colombian history back then when we had the narco uh, guerrillas and, you know, kind of like kidnappings and attacks happening almost in every corner in different towns. And, and my parents decided to send me to the United States to go to school um, just for safety reasons. So I was a 17-year-old that came to the United States literally with a suitcase a student visa, and a pocket translator. I'm kind of dating myself by saying pocket <laughs> translator. <laughs> but sure enough, it was that. 
Yeah. Uh, no iPhones then. And, and, and here I am now. So it's, I guess, the typical immigrant story of a young girl that came with a dream and needs to learn how to speak English and, mm. and, and see what I could do in this new country. Yeah. That's, well, you know, that's remarkable. I mean, to you, it's your story, and um, you kind of state it, you know, very matter-of-fact. But one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about it, you know, 17, that is such a – that's such a um, – tough age you know those teenage years I think we have our own drama going on um, outside of what is actually happening in our lives and what was it like to be 17 and and just really pick up and leave everything that you know behind exactly the biggest thing and and many people unless you're an immigrant you, you won't understand this but when you don't know the language Susan it's so scary it's just you know, I, I like to think of myself as being outgoing and fearless and, and pretty friendly, but not speaking the language paralyzes you. And, yes. and it frustrated me for the first couple of years that I felt like my personality couldn't fully come out because you would see this shy, quiet person, and it wasn't that that was me. I just couldn't talk. Mm. So, so many times we make assumptions about um, immigrants who maybe are highly skilled or educated, but the language becomes a barrier. And that's why I just made it my top priority to get over this fear and just get out there and have as many friends as I could to practice with. Yeah. Um, and eventually I got over that fear, but it was it was just daring to get out there and, and not be afraid of making a mistake if I wasn't, I mean, to, to this day, I make grammatical mistakes. So I don't care. I just go for it uh, and, and, and just there to learn the language. You know, my husband yeah. calls them immigrant moments. It's kind of cute when he says that. Uh, <laughs> when a preposition is wrong or a pronunciation of this or that, it doesn't come out quite yeah. right. But uh, it's that spirit that at the end of the day, we're all mostly immigrants in this country. It's just a spirit that has defined what it means to be an American, have this American dream, which I think is fascinating. Mm, yeah, so beautifully said. And, you know, gosh, it, you you almost had to stifle your your um, enthusiastic nature, not being able to express yourself um, through mm-hmm. the language. That I really can, can understand how that must have been so difficult. It, it really was. And I think um, language aside, uh, many of us uh, – and, and women, especially, I'm thinking about all, all the women that are listening. Um, we all have our social norms or family norms that we tell ourselves are, are the way you ought to portray yourself. And sometimes we hold back our passion or our desire to to do the right thing in a, in a given environment. And and I think the one thing I learned and this language thing forced me to do was just put my uh, opinion ahead and 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 not let that fear step aside and, and stand for what I knew was right and who I could represent to the to the friends and people I had around. So I think all of us can learn a little bit from that because sometimes we're our worst enemies holding ourselves back, Absolutely. whether it is the excuse of the language or I don't have enough experience or, gee, I've never been in front of this crowd or group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of getting beyond that initial fear. but. It took so many years, and here I am now right. talking and more than I probably should. <laughs> well, listen, if you're if you're being asked, you know, to contribute, then you must, you know, be doing something right and, and have something worthwhile to say. So, um, you know, you should be very proud of that. Um, tell me, Lily, wh- why did you choose 
Southwestern Adventist University. You went uh, there for your undergrad and then on uh, yes. to University of Colorado for your MBA. Tell me about, because uh, Southwestern Advent, uh, Adventist rather is a, a small university, what made you choose to go there? It's a teeny tiny school. I mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the choosing. Okay. I think um, it had to do with my parents putting me in a place where they knew I was going to be safe and small and, you know, a Christian school and Honestly, I, I ended up there kind of like by default because they had, um, they have actually to this day a really good like ESL program. So I didn't really go there to go to school per se. I just went there to do my ESL program. And it just happens to be that I ended up staying there um, for my undergrad. Um, so I didn't think about it too much mm-hmm. really as a student at the time. Um but it's fascinating now, fast forward now, and after being to all kinds of different schools and programs, it's like, gee, I, I guess, um, I mean, sure, I could have picked another place, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think it was a safe enough, small enough place for this 17-year-old girl that had to learn English first. And also for my parents, I think, to have the comfort of after shipping their kid overseas with yes. no one around, right. that it was a safe place. So I think it had to do a lot with that. Um, it was a great experience. Yeah. Did you throw yourself in and become fully, you know, involved and, and engaged? I did. I did. And I think um, that's something that has carried me to this day. Now I've had to learn the discipline of saying no. <laughs> but mm. uh, any opportunity that I had in front of me, I, I try to jump on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a group, I guess this was a cool name for the business club, which was called Students for Free Enterprise, and I decided to become the president of that. First time ever that we actually won a regional competition up against all the other big schools in the state. Um, and I was a senator for the girls, I guess, representing the, the, the women um, in the school senate and even a, vars- a varsity cheerleader. I mean, I was just everywhere I could, and I felt I had the opportunity to make an impact. I, w- I was there. And and that spirit has really carried me through other bigger schools, you know, my professional career in corporate America, mm-hmm. even to this day with the non-for-profits and organizations that I'm part of. So it wasn't just settling for doing what I was supposed to do as a student, but finding those new places where I could make an impact. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's something I did from early, early on, for sure. Was your interest always to go into business? Was that always, you know? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. Um, it's so funny, you know, when you're a kid um, or, or a young student, you just don't know. I, To me, business was this, like, big, powerful thing. I, I would see myself in a corner office somewhere. And, of course, when you think business, I was thinking finance and, and, like, a Wall Street career. So I was a finance major until I did my um, internship in finance, and I did not like it. Mm. So no offense to our fellow listeners who are in the finance profession. I mean, it's an amazing skill that you got to have. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm too outgoing. I want to be in front of people. People, and, and right. Not just the spreadsheet. That's and, right. And I love math, and I love the technical part of it, which now, in, in, in hindsight, it was such a lethal combo because I love the people and marketing side of what the marketing career brings, but I am a total nerd of spreadsheets. <laughs> so uh, I, I just love it. I think numbers are so powerful. 
um, which is kind of why I do what I do because the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. But anyway, so, so yes, it was finance. I wanted to be in that space, and I'll never forget an advisor in school that said, Lily, don't worry if you hated your, your internship. Um, just get an MBA, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> um, but I was kind of freaked out for a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's <laughs> that funny. I was putting myself in a place I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's when we're younger, it really is so much about learning what we like and what we don't like. You know, I think it's so rare mm-hmm. for a young person to say, this is what I'm going to be, and they go off to college and study that and, and stay with it forever. Right. That is rarely the case. Um, but I think it's so interesting. You just seem to have a natural confidence as a young girl. And I would imagine, you know, the beginning for you, um, gave you that confidence because you did something so difficult. Um, you know, coming to America, starting over, learning a new language, that's a big hurdle to overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me, so during, prior to, um, Excel Alliance, you, you did spend some years in the corporate, uh, in, different uh, industries. You were with Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola, Ralph Lauren, Merck. Um, I guess as an advisor, can you tell me what was your role with those companies and and what did you learn most from those years? Yeah, so I would say I owe the inspiration and the muse for me kind of jumping ship and doing this whole entrepreneurial thing was certainly – 10 years of a wonderful experience at Johnson & Johnson. So I was very blessed to come into a wonderful company that, as we know, is one of the most admired companies in the world mm-hmm. for everything they do for talent, women, you know, healthcare, et cetera. And I actually came in through a non-traditional path. I was part of one of their leadership development programs where they pick um, MBA and fairly young um candidates to be part of, a, of almost like an accelerated uh, leadership machine where in two years you're rotated every eight months and, uh, and mentored by C-level executives at a very, very young age with the whole purpose of like accelerating your leadership potential and, and become this pipeline of very young, well-prepared leaders. So I had the benefit of that. Um, and I was able to do that, complete the program, and started rising up very fast in, in this company. Um, J&J and the sponsorship of so many great mentors, um, even the coaching and mentoring of the CEO at the time, um, Mr. Bill Weldon, who's no longer the CEO, but he was the chairman at the time, um, was what gave me the impetus to create my own company. Mm. Um, because as we were looking at business plans and new sources of growth and, you know, the 2008 economic crisis hit and then so many things happening in the marketplace, I was um, empowered to build a business case for uh, multicultural markets as a viable source of growth in America. So there's shifting demographics. Um, There's a a majority-minority reality that is coming. And it's so it's so interesting because despite all the political noise we're hearing these days mm-hmm. from both sides of the aisle, this is a reality that is numbers based. Um, that that there is change happening. When I mean California is already majority Hispanic as a state. Period. Mm-hmm. Yes. In New York, one in three New Yorkers is Hispanic. Um, the population under 
five years of age is already majority minority. So whether you agree with policy, immigration, whatever, put that aside. The fact from a business standpoint is that there's a changing demographic and a changing consumer landscape. So at J&J, I was able to put that business case together, and that's when I realized, wow, there's an opportunity here. So if J&J needed help in being guided through that strategy and that new marketplace, I'm sure there was more corporations that needed the same guidance. So my business partner and I, um, who were both at J&J at the time, we decided to leave and create the company that we wish we could hire um, to help other corporations. So you mentioned um, L'Oreal, which is, you know, Ralph Lauren and Coca-Cola. Currently, we're actually doing work with PepsiCo. Um, HSN, the Home Shopping Network, and, and many others who happen to be my clients, these corporations are working with my team so that we can help them figure this out um, and, and put like bias, emotion, opinion aside, look at the hard numbers and see what is the right go-to-market approach as America continues to change. Um, so J&J was my basically my muse <laughs> to be able to do what I do today. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's just amazing that you had the foresight to see that, you know, this was going to be a reality and these, this research mm-hmm. and, you know, these numbers and kind of figuring it all out was going to be needed um, in order to change, I guess, marketing strategies companies, you know, had in place. And so what a great, great field to be in. Um, I wonder, um, Lily, since you've been both, you know, you've had experience in both the corporate world and in media as well. Can you mm-hmm. – t- have you witnessed um, differences with regard to diversity in the media mm. in- industry versus uh, corporate? Well, so, um, again, I had the great benefit of having my corporate exposure or career being at, at a company like J&J. You know, they're always at the top for places for women to work at and and diversity issues and all that. So um, I guess what I I saw on that side was probably a fairly advanced diversity practice where there was a women's leadership group. And at my time and tenure at J&J, there was some very powerful women already in the board. Um, so there were role models to look up to, and I think that's probably the hardest thing in, in a corporate environment, especially I talk to my friends in banking who to this day are, are struggling to find themselves, you know, in the boardroom um, or in other industries. So I guess um, what I saw was a very committed corporation that I know has been in the forefront from a while, for a while. And then switching gears to the media, um, i, I got to tell you, it's, I kind of fell into the media world by accident, and that's a whole other fun story to tell. And Maybe that was one of my questions for you. I did, I did want to know how that came about. I'm not a journalist, and I my desire is not to become the host of a TV or try to be Oprah or Barbara Walters at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they are amazing women with amazing careers, but it's so funny because I, I, it's like my hobby almost on, on, on the side to be on, on TV, which is such a huge responsibility. But anyway, so to the point of diversity, many times when I am in a panel on, on a Fox News studio, for example, um, I happen to be either the only female and then add on top of that the minority factor, and definitely I happen to be this very unique voice. 
Mm-hmm. So instead of seeing it as a handicap, let's say, which one could argue, gee, well, they can have more diversity. If I'm in the room or on set, gosh, I got to take responsibility and carry the flag proudly. So I think being the only female or the only minority in some of these settings forces me to prepare twice as hard, mm. to have even more facts. So there's no room for like subjectivity or emotion or whatever, or judgment. Um, as we know, as women in the workplace or whatever, whether it is on a TV set or in your own meetings in your company, um, we have to dispel the myth that it's, you're there not because of a gender preference, but because of your merit. Mm. So it, if anything, it pushes me to have to be much more prepared when I get the emails from the producers and I happen to be the only woman or the only minority on the set. Um, so it's kind of a fun challenge. So I, I try not to judge it, but instead of taking it as, as a challenge for me to do better. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you know, I, I of course, uh, you know, in my research, I, I've seen you um, on some of those sets, and you absolutely hold your own, and, you know, you are prepared, and you're there with the knowledge and the numbers and, um, you know, the facts. So. Uh, perhaps you should maybe consider having your own show one day. No. <laughs> um, something to maybe. shoot for. Yeah. Listen, we're, we have to take a quick break, Lily. When we come back, I wanted to jump into to, um, an article that I read in the Atlantic Council and talk a little bit about women's issues in Colombia. We'll be right back. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, founding principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all-important travel budget, and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now I have truly exciting news for you, news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, 
and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'd like to uh, give out the call-in number as well if you're listening and you wanted to call in and ask a question of my very special guest today, today excuse me, Lily Gil Valletta. That's a lot of L's, Lily. <laughs> uh, the phone number <laughs> is 888-329-3306. That's 888 888- Three two nine thirty three zero six. Just before the break, I was uh, mentioning to you uh, an article that I read in Atlantic Council. Um, one of the things I, I wrote down this quote because I, I loved it: uh, "Women are agents of change who bring about positive transformations, not only for themselves but for the societies in which they live." And I think that's just an incredibly true statement. Um, and we're witnessing it, you know, globally right now with a lot of uh, foundations and organizations run by women that are really helping um, societies where w- women have, you know, historically been held back or struggle. Uh, Colombia has a progressive legal framework for the protection of women. Um, however, what I read in this article was that the implementation of these legal structures um, can be weak, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on that. Yes, so um, it's a very loaded question, and, and when you told me you wanted to talk about this, I was thinking, geez, how do I tackle it? So folks that are listening can get a, a quick grasp of it. Um, just to kind of set the framework, um, Colombia has had been, so I'm so excited to say it in the past tense, had been one of those countries that uh, still had an actual armed um, conflict inside the country for the last, you know, 40 to 50 years. So there was actually uh, the guerrillas um, still fighting with the U.S. Army in Colombian soil, which had created pockets of the country where people had been displaced. Um, So it's kind of a scary statistic. Colombia has the second largest population of internally displaced people in the world after Syria. So that entire town that would literally move out of where they were farming the land and having a peaceful living and flock into the major cities like Bogota, Medellin, Cali, which creates a lot of burden into those cities because you have like refugees from inside the country in a way. Um, So I'm giving you all that context because it's been so many years of this dynamic that finally reaching a peace treaty or a peace agreement, which was accomplished in June of this year, Mm -hmm. is an epic, historic accomplishment. And, of course, back to this whole point of of having so many internally displaced uh, families and people, it has disproportionately affected women significantly, um, not just because of, of course, the natural impact that has in their families and young children, but a lot of these women are undereducated or um, they're not as skilled as, as they can be. So when you come into a city um, like Bogota, which is a giant city with 9 million people in it, it's like a big New York, mm. um, they don't have a way to really, um, you know, provide for their families or, or anything. So there's so many complicated twists and turns to this whole situation. 
now that we have reached peace, hopefully they can reintegrate these families and, and bring them back into their towns, but it's going to take some time. This just happened in June. Mm. But um, anyway, so it's a, it's a big, complex political landscape that now we can we can uh, breathe a little bit better in Colombia, knowing that there is a peace process that has been achieved uh, and no longer will have like this armed conflict internally. And hopefully some of these families and women can get back to their cities of of origin. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful positive first step, right? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen it with the beating of the cartels back with the Pablo Escobar era, which was 30 years ago. A lot of people, because you see Narcos on Netflix, you think that's what's happening in Colombia, but not really. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. It was kind of like when, when I came to the U.S. That, uh, that has changed drastically. And the one thing we had was this armed conflict internally, which now we have the bilateral ceasefire agreement that mm-hmm. has been signed, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, women have been at the center of it all. Yeah. Um, they always um, are. They know. always are. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, there's, there was a whole subcommission on gender um, as part of it, um, it, the peace process. And the government of Colombia actually has some pretty powerful women in their cabinet. You know, we have Minister of Labor, who's a female, Minister of Commerce, Minister of Housing, and the list kind of goes on and on, which is really neat to see. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, well, listen, I want to uh, talk a little bit about your company. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. you, you started Excel Alliance, and um, it, it, and I'm going to try to explain it a little bit for our listeners. It's a, um, you have developed a proprietary methodology for cultural intelligence, um, which mm-hmm. is then used for marketing, political strategy, um, and even in the medical profession, which I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. that. Um and you have trademarked cultural intelligence, which provides insights um, for companies to better engage and influence people. Um, tell mm-hmm. me, I, I have so many questions, but the first one that comes to mind for me <laughs> is what commonalities have you seen um, across the board? So, in other words, what, the work that you're doing really lays out uh, the cultural differences and, and gives us insights into the different ways that different cultures of people respond to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say things in the news or or how they live their lives. But I'm real curious to know if there's a commonality that you've seen, which Mm -hmm. really will kind of Mm -hmm. speak to the fact that we say at the end of the day, we're we're all human beings, no matter where we come from or what Mm -hmm. our background is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. And actually, the, the most powerful I mean, not to bore you with marketing lingo, but really the most powerful consumer insight is one that is rooted in a universal truth. And that universal truth typically is a human truth, which um, is what anchors the most powerful and compelling messages, campaigns, um, you know, and, and just like profiles of people, leaders, et cetera. It's when you're able to pull a hard string that is anchored in that human truth. Mm. So um, it's interesting. Uh, I get asked a lot of that question of like, aren't we all human at the end of the day? Mom, a mom is a mom, no matter what. Um, we may share the common truth that we love our families and want to provide the best for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, while the human truth may be a common one that we share regardless of 
ethnicity, country of origin, etc. Um, it's the way we go about expressing how we want to provide the best for our families that sometimes changes. So maybe the impetus, the emotional impetus is the same, but um, it's different in how it gets expressed. So for example, and, and this is a fascinating real truth, like the Hispanic millennials today, who many of them happen to be first generation U.S. born and first generation college graduates. They're going to college. They're working three jobs to pay through college. They're doing well in school and graduating at higher rates. Not because they themselves want to achieve the American dream, but because they don't want to let their parents down after all the sacrifice they made. So you have a typical millennial American kid who's very driven, certainly putting all of his heart and soul to make their parents proud, potentially, but also do something great for themselves. But that uh, desire to almost like not let my parents out because they sacrificed so much already coming over to this country and doing all this stuff for me, it's, it's a little bit different for the Hispanic millennial, for example. Um, and, and I know I'm giving you such a broad, like broad stroke insight on, on one topic, but generally, we, we get to find the human truth that binds us together, but it's just the context of how that truth gets expressed mm -hmm. that makes it so different. And by the way, it's not, it kind of drives me nuts when we get so, so uh, clouded by the racial thing, which especially these days with everything that's happening, it's, it's loud and clear that there's some things to amend. Yes. However, at the end of the day, it's just about, acknowledging that we as humans are all different. So you, you would never market, let's say, a, a product to a New Yorker the same way you would market it to somebody in Denver, Colorado, or in Portland. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of acknowledging the humanity of people and what drives them. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to do is bring that extra understanding of this very diverse pool of Americans that we have now so that we're not making broad assumptions and making it more personalized and more effective for business uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I answer your question. Yes, absolutely. A very loaded question. Yeah, it is. I know. <laughs> I tend to that's, ask, that's I tend to I ask mean. loaded questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, that, um, no, it, it really, it's, you, you explained it very simply. I think it, as you said, you know, the, there's a, there's a human truth that we're all humans, but we also have, you know, we're motivated differently by different things. And um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of that comes from how we were raised and, and what our um, traditions exactly. were and, and teachings and, and religion, of course, faith is a big part of it as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating mm -hmm. to me. I think it's it must be a really enjoyable work that you do doing the research and, and you know, gathering all of this insight into really mm -hmm. the psyche of people and, and from different backgrounds. Exactly. No, I feel like a cultural navigator many times. And by the yeah. way, I don't know all the answers. The data is the data. And mm -hmm. so many times I learned things that I didn't even know. Right. Um, there, was, there was one particular healthcare study that we did for looking at barriers to treatment for breast cancer patients across ethnic groups. So kind of like seeing why would 
certain women not pursue the treatment or not follow through with the treatment, right? Mm, and yeah. you would think there's all kinds of, again, broad assumptions. Yeah. You may assume, gee, maybe the Hispanic patient doesn't have access to health care, or is it a cost thing, or is it that the uh, side effects of like a chemotherapy, for example, are so lousy that they just don't want to go through it, blah, blah, blah. And one key, key profound driver that we found for Hispanic women has to do with physical appearance. So it's like I will feel less of a woman. Um, I don't know how this mm. is going to affect me and my intimacy and my relationship with my partner. Um, I don't feel pretty anymore. And so in, in talking to, and I'm, I'm doing some work with the Cleveland Clinic, which is so humbling every time I'm with them, they're so smart everything they do um, and, and we were having this conversation with them like, when was the last time that a cancer institute provided women with um, beauty and image consulting once they start treatment um, so you're giving all the technicalities of you're gonna feel this you're gonna feel that but if that is the barrier so then let's tackle it so there's like those are the kinds of things that I find that are so I mean unique Mm -hmm. that only this kind of deep understanding can uncover, and what an easy fix. It That's will be right. just, you know, have have a brochure or have a website or have a partnership with hair salons or beauty consultants that are going to help these patients that are going to go through this process so they stick with it mm -hmm. and we don't lose them halfway and eventually lose them all together. Yeah. So um, Anyway, it's stuff like that that is where culture plays a very interesting role. And that was not the case, by the way, for the other women as much as it did for Latinas. So, mm, wow, that's um, yeah, very I can, interesting. I can go on and on. Yeah, yeah it's, yep. it's stuff like that that, yeah. that it becomes a, a nugget that can, in this case, save a life, yeah. which is uh, pretty profound. That's right. That's right. Um, question for you. Can you tell me what one of or maybe the – most proudest moment you've had um, professionally? What are you mm. most proud of? My gosh, a proud moment. Um, gee, you told you threw me you threw me a curveball because I was thinking my proudest moment was definitely becoming a mom. Oh. <laughs> Well, I know that. That's why I said professional, because we're all proud of our kids. What? There's nothing better than that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, just maybe something that has happened in your, I mean, obviously, it's funny to me I, that, you, you know, it wasn't. I have moments. Yeah, yeah. I have different moments. I, I um, you know, when now that I'm thinking about it, I'm having flashbacks at the different, you know, Fortune 100 boardrooms that I've been in. Mm -hmm. where um, I am showing a very smart, accomplished group of people, many times, most of them men, who are, who are learning something new with what I'm sharing with them mm -hmm. or, or, or showing them something they've never seen before. So I think I have different moments of pride with what I do because mm -hmm. if I am able to change the mindset or kind of remove the veil from an executive that had never thought about their business through this particular lens of cultural innovation or cultural opportunity, um, I, my job is, is done. Mm -hmm. So um, that, is, that is always like a, 
an amazing moment and, uh, you know, to, to protect the innocent. I, I won't mention the boardrooms, but it's been, well, you can see who my clients are and, and those kinds of corporations right. where um, I kind of pinch myself when I walk out and I'm like, oh my gosh, we were just in front of the global board of directors for X company and they were all learning something new yeah. about yeah. their business. Right. That's wonderful. So You're continually, it, yeah, it having those like moments. Corporate educator in a way, like mm-hmm. evangelist of, of, of business in a way. Yeah, that there you makes go. Makes me so happy. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, to to allow um, someone else to kind of have an aha moment is is a great feeling. And um, yeah, you know, to be and um, I have I have another one. Um, gee, what was her name? There was a. Uh, and I feel so embarrassed, I can't remember her name. But there was a conference that I was I was presenting at a conference. Um, and I was in a panel, and when I came back from the panel, um, so I came down, and you know how people come after you in a, in a conference and want your name and number, and mm-hmm. you're just chatting, whatever. And there was this young girl um, that approached me, and she was like emotional and all excited. Like I'm like, oh, okay. So, and she said, you know what? I heard you speak five years ago when I was a student, and I was so depressed because I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, and after I heard you talk about how culture and your commitment to the community inspired you, I decided to pursue like politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a very young girl. And long story short, she became the youngest Latina to be elected into the city council of a town in Massachusetts. So when I talked to her, she was telling me already about the end result. But she said it was that particular event and that particular speech and that particular story that I told about where I came from and what I did and all that stuff that mm-hmm. inspired her to just pursue and change directions. It was so humbling and so exciting. I, I was like, wow. So if I'm able to, in one room full of students, change the course of career or life of one, it's, that in itself is an epic, you know, mm-hmm. proud moment. Um, so her name is uh, Judy Garcia, and she is in um, – she lives in Chelsea. It is in Massachusetts, a small town, but she did it, and she was mm. 24 and elected to city council. Wow. Um, wow. That's a wonderful story. So, yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, it's just moments like that. So you're either inspiring a young life or evangelizing a boardroom. Mm-hmm. I think those are, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Everything else is just you know, the gravy on top. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, it's wonderful. Tell me what, you know, during those moments of, I think um, no matter how accomplished one becomes, we still have moments of insecurity, um, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a motto that you live by? What do you, in those moments where you're, you know, you're feeling a little unsure, what do you say to yourself or remind yourself of that gets you through that moment? So, um, my gosh, running running the risk of being incredibly religious because I am a woman of faith That's and I do feel that there is a higher calling and a higher reason of why I'm in this planet. Um, 
I just love, love, love the I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So um, I have a couple of Bible characters that I love that I think are total, you know, <laughs> and yes, I use the word, uh, but it's like, you know, there's, there's jo- Joseph, who was the governor of Egypt, and Queen Esther, who, of course, stood up to, like, the king and all those wonderful stories that I, I think of figures like that and that particular verse that I can truly do all things. Because it's not just me, but it comes from somewhere else. And if I have been given the responsibility of talent and and a team and influence and, and a room to talk to, there must be a, a higher reason of why I'm doing it. So that's really what I tell myself and say a prayer and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no, what I do. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, really, that's, that's really kind of, you know, re- reminding yourself that the power is – it really is um, within you, and you know perhaps the source mm-hmm. is somewhere else. Um, takes a little pressure off yourself. That I think that's a wonderful reminder. Um, yeah. One of the one you, you there's many things you do, um, Lily, outside of um, running XL Alliance and your your commentary on television. Um, you're an active member for the Harvard Women's Leadership Board. Um, that's correct. Yeah. Tell me what what is it that you really hope to accomplish um, through your role with them and, and what made you decide to, to jump on board there? So I had the great blessing and thanks to a sponsorship from the World Economic Forum to, to go do a program at the Harvard Kennedy School um, in global leadership and public policy. And, and when I was at Harvard, one of my professors um, was this incredible woman. That, by the way, you got to have her on this show. Um, her name is Iris Bonnet, and Iris and I became like good friends. I consider her a mentor and an amazing inspiration. And she was the one that told me about the board and nominated me to be part of the board. So I was, of course, incredibly flattered and humbled. And when I went into the website and kind of searched what was this, you know, Harvard Women's Leadership board and who are the members and what they do I was like oh my gosh I mean you have the president of L'Oreal the CFO from Walmart and these amazing women so just to be considered was like incredible Um, long story short sure enough I was presented as a recommendation I joined the board and when I walked into that room um, I guess I have a selfish and a selfless purpose as a member of this board. Okay. My, I'll start with the selfish one. <laughs> the selfish one is, and very quickly I, I saw it as I walked in, was the fact that ha, since I had stepped out of a corporate environment, I had gotten like unplugged from those powerful corporate women's circles. Um, so in a way, I saw this as a, reconnection into like a women's leadership group mm-hmm. of mentors, advisors, champions, friends that I kind of lost when I left J&J because then you go off, you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of like on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my team looking up to me and then who am I looking up to or who do I call when I'm really like frustrated with something that would be like a peer woman in that corporate environment. So they very quickly became that, and I consider them that. And, and we 
are very candid with each other, helping each other. So that's the selfish motive. The and, selfless you know, we have, one, we have about one minute left. So, yes, tell me what the selfless okay. one is. And the, Go ahead. The selfless one is this group is commissioning some breakthrough um, research around gender issues. Okay. Um, we each contribute and fundraise for Harvard to be able to commission these kind of studies. Mm-hmm. So if I can influence the type of new groundbreaking research that Harvard is embarking on as it relates to gender or the students and fellows that we're sponsoring, then I am just so proud to be able to be there and actually guide where the monies go and how it gets spent for the greater cause of women around the world. Well, that's very smart. <laughs> you went into that with, you know, very two specific um, ideas in mind and, and both, you know, one that would help yourself and one that will help others. And, you know, I think that's such great advice, Lily, the way that you go about all of the work that you're doing. Um, I, I'm so, so honored to too. have you on the show. I truly am. Thank you. No, thank you for the opportunity and for everything you do to tell our stories and, and, and just allow us women to candidly share what we've learned through these trials and joys of doing what we do. That's right. Oh, thank you so much, Lily. I hope you'll um, stay in touch with the show. That's Absolutely. it, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Be sure to check out all things Women to Watch at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T.